You're listening to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from BIV and BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Coming up on the show today, our regular Asia 360 segment, we'll look at that US-Japan mini trade deal and why it's more of a politically driven one than an economic deal. Plus, does Canada have enough venture capital funding? We'll have Charles Plant from the University of Toronto's Impact Centre on the show to answer that question. Canada's first year of legalized cannabis has seen significant industrial development and investment. But along with that, we've also seen a range of regulations imposed around consumer outlets, a supply shortage, and a persistent black market that complicates the landscape. So what have we learned? What lessons can be applied to the next stage of legalization? Well, on October 9th, BIV's Cannabis One Year On panel will examine industry opportunities, challenges, and next steps. On October 17th, we celebrate BC's fastest growing companies. Our annual Top 100 list is out. The event will be focused around that list and on celebrating those on it. It will be hosted at Audi downtown Vancouver, and it's a good chance to meet and network with companies that have seen truly remarkable growth over the last five years. We're talking about five-digit percentage growth. It's pretty amazing. This is an event you won't want to miss. For details and for tickets, you can visit BIV.com slash events. Jeff Reeves, Vice President of Research at the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada, joins me now for our regular Asia 360 segment. It's where we take a deeper look at the economics, policies, issues, and politics of the world's fastest-growing region. Today, our discussion will focus on U.S.-Japan and their trade deal. Jeff, good to have you back on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So we have a trade deal in place between both countries signed this week. Tell me what was actually achieved. What's the meat of this deal? So uh, at this point, we don't have a formal uh, document made public. So we have what I, I would call basically aspirational goals at this point. So if you look, for example, on the U.S. Trade Representative website, you can see that they've made commitments, vague commitments, um, but they haven't really followed through with specifics. But what we do see is that this mini deal, is what they're calling it at this point, addresses two things. It addresses a reduction of tariffs around certain goods, mostly agricultural exports from the United States, things like blueberries and walnuts and wheat. Um, commitments from the Japanese side to buy a certain amount of wheat. And then uh, the other side of it is an issue around digital trade. So reduction of tariffs around the export of video games, for example, um, video content, agreements around making sure there's not forced transfer of algorithms or software coming from different companies operating in both countries, and then an agreement around uh, not the need to, to localize data. Yeah, which is a big issue in the Asia Pacific, but between Japan and the United States, they've agreed that companies operating in both countries can do uh, can export their data back to their country of origin rather than being forced to to keep it in either Japan or the United States. So that's kind of the broad um, parameters of this trade deal, but we still don't have specifics. It's supposed to go into effect around January 1st. Without the specifics, are we able to tell whether this is really an economic deal or whether it's more along the lines of a politically strategic deal? Right. So I think it's probably fair to say this is primarily a political deal at this point. Um, both sides are putting it as an interim deal, saying that it's going to be the first of a series of negotiated deals going forward. This is actually the only way that it's legal under the WTO, which says in Article 24 that these kind of small tariff 
um, goods deals are not legal, that any kind of trade deal has to be more comprehensive. The European Union's actually come out and criticized this deal by saying that it's more managed trade than free trade. So if you don't acknowledge it as an interim deal, it actually, it's, it's questionable whether or not this is allowable under the WTO. But in terms of the politics, President Trump was obviously in um, a rather tight spot to demonstrate that some of his trade negotiations have borne fruit for U.S. Uh, manufacturers and in particular U.S. farmers right. who felt a big pinch around the U.S.-China trade war. Um, for, for President Trump, he's able to go back to that constituency and say, look, I've provided opportunities back in Japan around wheat, around these other agricultural products that were losing market access through, you know, the, in China in particular. And he's able to point to this as, as a win. Um, from President or Prime Minister Abe's perspective, this is a good opportunity to demonstrate to the United States that Japan is a very important partner, that it's willing to work with the United States, that it's willing to address some of its underlying concerns around international trade. Is there a winner, a clear winner when it comes to who got most out of this deal? So you'll see both sides claiming a win from the United States perspective. It, there's a sense that they were able to bring Japan to the table. They were able to force concessions. Uh, potentially, this agreement could affect about $8 billion worth of U.S. agricultural exports. Now, not all of those will go to Japan, but all of those would be eligible to go to Japan. Um, from the Japanese perspective, there's a sense that they got a very good deal. They understood that the Trump administration was looking for a short-term win, and it seems that they took advantage of that. In many ways, this mini deal is very similar to what the Obama administration was negotiating with Japan over uh, with, uh, with regards to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP or the CPTPP, the Comprehensive um, Trans-Pacific Partnership. So uh, Japan actually got more concessions under the Trump administrations than they had negotiated under the Obama administration with particular reference back to rice. Hmm, interesting. In the sense that this is an interim deal, what are some of the bigger issues that have yet to be resolved between both countries that could be or would need to be resolved if we're moving toward a, a greater deal? Right. So the big issue is around Japanese exports of cars to the United States. This is still a major issue and it accounts for about two thirds of all Japanese exports to the US. The United States has said that they have to have some sort of negotiated agreement around um, trade or excuse me, tariff access or tariffs on Japanese cars. This is a, a really difficult issue to negotiate. And it's unlikely that they'll be able to do this in the short term, but it's certainly their next goal. And it's the stated goal. The issue here, though, is if you do have a bigger negotiated trade deal with Japan, it has to actually be ratified by US Congress. The Trump administration is able to move these shorter interim deals just through executive um, executive orders. So this is desirable from a Trump perspective. But these these other issues are there and they're not going away. Does the U.S. and does Japan want a full deal? I think ultimately, uh, as long as it benefits both sides. Right. But uh, you know, these issues take years to negotiate. And because of the politically charged environment, I'm not sure from a Japanese perspective how much value they see in negotiating with President Trump right now, considering the impeachment proceedings that are going on against him, considering that 2020 is a pre presidential election year in the United States, and that any negotiations they might take in the short term with President Trump might have to be completely restarted with a new Democratic president, or even in the case of impeachment, a new Republican president. So I do think right now that the incentive is not there from the Japanese side, at least politically, but ultimately it serves both countries' interests if they can come to some sort of 
trade agreement that allows them both to have greater access to their respective markets and their respective goods and services. Of course, it comes in the context of an ongoing U.S.-China trade war. From the perspective of both countries, how does China maybe factor into the willingness to come out with this mini trade deal? I think from the U.S. side, it puts pressure on them to make a deal with Japan. Um, I, again, I think looking at this as almost a political deal rather than an economic deal, being able to say that while U.S. Uh, farmers are suffering under the, the U.S.-China trade war, you know, President Trump is taking their concerns into consideration and looking for alternative markets, and that's Japan. From the Japanese perspective, they understand that the United States is backed in, into a corner, and it's a good time to negotiate with a state that needs you to negotiate. Um, but Japan is also has has its own very kind of economic plan in the Asia Pacific around becoming more integrated. Economic integration is one of the driving foreign policy principles behind the Abe administration. So being able to bring the United States into that, I think, is seen as a net win. And uh, so for both sides, I think this is something that they want. I'm curious what this means for Canada, a member of the CPTPP right. and access to the Japanese market was seen as a big win for us in right. that, yeah. in part because the U.S. also wasn't part of that deal. Yes. Yeah. Does this threaten our access in any way? Well, so there's two points I think that are important to make there. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the tariff reductions we're seeing are in line with CPTPP negotiated tariff reductions that Canada received. So with regards to Japan around um, meat exports, around pork, around things like wheat, uh, other agricultural goods. So now the United States has the ability to export its own agricultural goods at the same price that Canada does. But kind of incidentally, what we've seen over 2019 is that despite Canada having the agreement in place with Japan under the CPTPP, Canadian trade with Japan has actually dropped about two percentage points mm -hmm. in 2019. Why do you think that is? It's, an, it's a really interesting conversation. <laughs> uh, I think part of it, it goes back to the U.S.-China trade war mm. and the pressures that this is putting on regional states to kind of consolidate and localize their value chains. So Japan has built up a huge value chain in the Asia Pacific. And as it looks at trade moving more slowly from North America into Asia because of the trade wars with China, what it's essentially doing is looking for more local sources of supply uh, and demand for Japanese goods. It's looking to its its Asian value chain to make sure that it's uh, achieving its own economic goals. And Canada just doesn't fit into that for, for Japan. Uh, Canada has always been an important market for Japan as an entry point into the United States. And if you take that away, the value that Canada brings to the trade relationship with Japan is diminished somewhat. So while there's still a good market for traditional uh, exports from Canada around natural resources in particular, what we're seeing is that Canadian companies have not been able to take advantage of these trade reductions in the CPTPP. I'm sure there's also a domestic component. You know, companies have to be ready and develop an Asian-oriented market strategy, and that takes time. And a lot of uh, Canadian companies might not know that those opportunities exist in Japan. So there's kind of a couple different um, push and pull, I think, causes for that. Yeah, we've spoken about that too. It takes time. It also takes a willingness to really commit to that strategy, to going abroad to a country that's in the CPTPP like Japan, learning what that's like, building the relationships. You can't expect to see an immediate change overnight, I guess. Absolutely. Oh, as always, pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. That's Jeff Reeves, Vice President of Research at the Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada. That's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. 
You can get notified of new episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes and Stitcher. All of our episodes are also available at BIV.com audio. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back Friday. Bye.